0: Hey, it's Rebecca, and you can hear new episodes of No Limits four days early on TuneIn. Before we get started with this week's episode, you may have heard that we launched our first episode of RJ Answers, where I'm taking your questions. If you want a chance to talk to me on No Limits about your career, big questions, how to get ahead, you can email me at nolimitswithrjpodcast at and I will take a look. I read every email that comes in, and we'll have a conversation live right here on the podcast if you've got questions. So send them my way.
1: The thing that I think just happened in this climate in this country at this moment is that people are so hungry for positivity. People are so hungry for like reasons to believe. That it actually, like, we're America. Like, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And that's not okay. But I don't think I can get on a Metroliner and go to Washington and fix it right now. So I'm going to do what I believe is the right thing to do for every person in this country.
0: From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all of the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, she is cutting out the middleman. Tina Sharkey is the co-founder and CEO of Brandless, a company that's on a mission to make high-quality products more accessible for everyone with a $3 price tag across the board. So how is she making it possible? You're
1: about to find out.
0: Nita Sharkey, welcome to No Limits.
1: Thank you. I can't believe I'm here. Um, Not to be a total fangirl, but I'm a huge, I follow everything that you're doing and I love what you're doing. So it's such a privilege to be sitting in this chair.
0: I feel so happy, first off, to hear that because I'm such an admirer of you and your work, co-founder and CEO of Brandless. You have this extraordinary resume. AOL, Johnson & Johnson. You were in Venture Capital. You co-founded iVillage, Sesame Street Online. Uh, You've been called one of the most influential women in technology. Um,
1: Yeah, those are all, those are definitely things I've done and things that have happened. So it's been a privilege to be a part of that. And um, I've had the luck to work with amazing people.
0: So how do you describe Brandless to people who've never heard of it before? What's the 30-second elevator pitch?
1: The 30-second elevator pitch is better everything for everyone, um, starting with all the stuff that you love every day, organics, non-GMO, gluten-free, clean beauty, um, organic extra virgin olive oil, organic coconut oil, the best pastas and organic sauces, and everything you love, and everything is $3. Sometimes two for three, sometimes three for three. What you're seeing at the shelf is laden with brand tax. And what we've done at Brandless is we've removed the brand tax. Brand tax, what is that? That is the markups from the time that olive oil, using olive oil as the example, um, gets put in the bottle until it actually reaches that shelf that you see it. It is touched by so many people, whether that is the markup from the distributor because they actually don't sell directly to that store, then the wholesale and retail, and then the stocking cost. And, oh, by the way, it's a new olive oil, so we want to put a shelf talker on there. Oh, by the way, you know what? We don't like our shelf. We want to move our shelf. Okay, well, that costs something. We want an end cap. We want to be in the FSI, which is that freestanding insert that the supermarkets have to tell you what's going on. You pay for that. Um, so it's on and on and on. That system puts so much cost. But if you actually knew what things cost versus what you pay for them, my co-founder always says people will be rioting in the streets. And I say, well, we don't want that. What we actually need to do is build a community for people who deserve better. And that's everyone. And prices should be fair. And people should be able to afford what they want for their families. And they should be able to eat the healthy food and organics and non-GMO and even clean beauty um it's not about organics in beauty in beauty with shampoos and conditioners and all of that it's actually about the 400 ingredients you don't want in there you don't want phthalates you don't want sulfates and you should be able to eat your dietary restrictions if you're vegan or kosher you should be able to shop your lifestyle choices no cruelty free and you should be able to find the stuff you love and not have to choose for yourself or your family what you can afford versus what you want. You have a pretty diverse background. Yeah, I would say that, you know, when I look back at the things that I've done, um, I think, wow, how did I do all that in 10 years? You no. did, no, <laughs> but you
0: really do. You did a lot of different, you you have a lot of different touch points over a short span of time.
1: But um, first and foremost, and we say this at Brandless, you know, it's not what I've done on my LinkedIn or my Wikipedia or any of that, it's who I am. And so who I am is two things I'm passionate and I'm curious. And so, and I guess if I was to add a third, it might be fearless in that I just want to understand things and I want to try things and I want to try and figure them out. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was an extraordinary entrepreneur and a role model. Um, She was a fashion executive and she was so awesome. And she was definitely, because I went to high school in New York City and she worked um, at the time she was running Ann Klein or Perry Ellis and show, I would go to her showroom to do my homework um, after school. And so she used to always say, you know, you can sit in any meeting you want, um, just only speak when spoken to. Um, Because I had just come from, I was high school, or 15 years old, 16 years old. And so I had the exposure at a very young age. Mm. You were an observer. To observing things. And um, I learned a lot at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, you know, I remember I really wanted to be a model when I was young because I was so tall. And, like, there was nothing else to do with that. So I remember (laughs) I went to Bloomingdale's. I think I was, like, Eleven, um, and I said to my mom, "I'm going to shop, and you're going to shop, and we're going to meet back, like you know, at this one location." And I went to the eighth floor, and I um, I went and asked if I could be a model. And so the woman there, Kathy, she said, "Well, sell me this pencil." And so I sold her the pencil and she hired me. And How then did I went you back sell downstairs. her the pencil? Do you remember? I remember like I held it. I talked about all the attributes of the pencil, the eraser, <laughs> the lovely yellow, the fact that it works not only on standardized tests, but it also can, you know, if you change your mind, you know, like you know, I just made it up. I don't know. I'm a storyteller. So um, and she hired me. Um, and then I got to go to Bloomingdale's every Saturday and sort of be a robot and stand on a pedestal and and do this miming, which so I didn't know how to do. So you were an in-store model at model at 11 years old. I think it was 11 or 12, but it couldn't have been much more than that. Um, and then I even remember I was a, I was in the Gloria Vanderbilt runway show with Reggie Jackson, who was a big Yankee at the time, or maybe he had retired. Um, so that was like my, my just being excited yeah. and knowing how to build relationships with people was something I think that came very instinctively to me. So
0: you you also had, it sounds like you had a bit of a hustle inside of you. You wanted more than what whatever it was that was in front of you. Absolutely. When you went to college, did you have a sense in your mind at that point, I want to go into business post-college?
1: Yes. I remember one thing that my mom told me, and I, I think for your listeners, this could be a good piece of advice because I give it to my teams all the time. Um, I remember I was going on... I don't know what it was. I was in high school and I wanted to do something. I don't remember what it was. I wanted to write a paper and I wanted to like interview like a famous person or whatever it was. And she said, "Just call them up and tell them who you are." And I was like, um, "Who am I?" She said, "You're <laughs> Tina Sharkey." And I said, "Well, that would be stating the obvious." But she gave me this sense that like I mattered. Mm. And when I think about Brandless, when I think about my teams, when I think about my career. My whole goal in life is to just hold up a mirror to everybody and say, like, you matter. Like, you're awesome. Because if you, we believe in you, the first and most important thing is you need to believe in you. You you went to UPenn. I did. Uh,
0: you studied international relations. Were you – Did That was a total hack.
1: What does that mean? <laughs> I wanted to uh, – Penn has the most extraordinary campus. So there's Annenberg School of Communications – there's um, the College of Arts and Sciences. There's the Wharton School of Business. And they have these graduate art programs. I mean, it's just and it's like a candy store for someone who's just curious about everything. So I went to my advisor. Um, and I was also, you have to study a language. And I love French. And I said, OK, I need some help. I really want to design a major where I can... Do the humanities and the College of Arts and Sciences, because I'm a huge believer in, um, in STEAM, science, um, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Um, I am obsessed with communications, and I need to do something at the Annenberg School. They didn't have an undergraduate degree that um, that fit all my requirements. I love Wharton, but I don't want to get an undergraduate MBA, but I really want to take some stuff there. And there are these art courses that are great. Oh, by the way, I really want to live in France for a semester. <laughs> Um, you what, said what, this what on you, day one i said that, no, I, no i was taking my basic requirements because you sort of get mandated what you right have to take right first, right but then when you start to think about your major which yes. is not like on day one you go and meet with your advisors and i was like here's the deal um and they were like huh hmm. there is one major that is sort of a like design your own um and it's called international relations so you can live in france you can if your thesis is somehow related to communications, we can do something with Attenberg. You can use your um electives to do entrepreneurial management at Wharton. You get all the stuff you want at the college and because you're doing France and the barnes foundation was is which is the most extraordinary collection of uh, um of paintings that was outside of mainline Philadelphia, and there was this amazing uh, graduate course that I wanted to go and study at the Barnes. Foundation. He said, "Well, you can work that in through the France angle." I was like, "Okay, I'm in." So, <laughs> um, so I wrote my thesis paper on um, telecom internet. The French, actually, at the time, were very progressive in technology. So it was international uh, bonder barrier of telecommunications. Um, so it was actually, I was sort of into communications and technology and all of that before I even knew that's where my career would lead. But that's why it was IR. It wasn't that I wanted to be in international government. I was just hacking, like, how could I do everything I wanted to do within the constructs of actually graduating on time and not making my parents pay for an extra year. So you did graduate in four years. I did.
0: When you graduated, what was the first job out of
1: college? Um, That is sort of a funny story. So my... Mom was a fashion executive, and so I thought I wanted to be a fashion executive. And so my mom set up um, some informational interviews with people so I could learn and, and do that, and, uh, which, by the way, I do all the time for people because that's really how I got my start. And there was this gentleman, Tomio Taki, um, who owned Ann Klein, Donna Karen, and all of these amazing fashion companies, and my mom got him to agree to spend 15 minutes with me. So I went to his office to spend 15 minutes with him, and I was waiting there for him, but they showed me into his office. And right behind his desk was this stack of business plans. And I'm studying them because he's not there. Um, I didn't get out of <laughs> you, my chair, got- but they had like on the spines, oh, you know, sure. the names of all the things. Now that I wouldn't have even seen it because it would all be electronic or in the cloud. Um, but one of the spines was a business that i had worked on at penn in my entrepreneurial management class you got paired with some local entrepreneurs and you helped them write their business plan and so when he came back into the room he you know introduced himself and you know he told me you know he was delighted to help me and what are some of my thoughts and i said i'm so sorry um to interrupt but May I ask you a question about the things along your wall? Because while you weren't here, I noticed something. He said, absolutely. I said, and I pointed to the spine of this um, video vending machine company. And I said, are you investing or are you involved in that company? And he said, well, actually, funny you should ask that. We're looking at that deal. And I said, you might want to avoid it. There's patent issues. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> like, literally, like, his face, like, lost all the color. And he says, how do you know? And I said, because I wrote that plan when I was at Penn. I did this Wharton Entrepreneurial Management class, and I explained to him the whole thing. And he said, oh, you should really meet my partner, um, because I, outside of the fashion stuff, I do this investing um, in different kinds of businesses. And it was really through that door that I got involved in technology and HGTV, and it changed my entire career by asking that question.
0: Wow. The smallest things. It's its really incredible, the things that can send you in whatever yeah, path you have you're to on. have
1: But that's the point of like in the tell them who you are. It's not about being boastful, because I really try not to be boastful. That's just not what I'm about. It's about being curious, not being afraid to ask a question, not being afraid to open a door, even if you don't see a doorknob. Um, You just, it's a way to start a conversation. And so that took my career in a totally different place. And I never ended up having a fashion career. I never ended up running a fashion company. Um, That was my mom's legacy. And my parents grew up in that industry, but um, it took me in a totally different place.
0: I think it's, it's, pretty realistic to expect that no matter where you work you're going to hit some dead ends you're going to have the stress points you're going to have the frustration but I'm sure along the way there were plenty of points where you thought is this it like what am I doing when am I going to get to the thing that I really want to be doing more from our discussion after a quick word from our sponsor
1: Over 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring. And independent research shows five times more hires are made through Indeed than any other job site. By creating the easiest, most effective hiring experience, Indeed helps businesses find great new people every day. Right now, Indeed is giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your credit at Indeed.com slash offer. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply.
0: But I'm sure along the way there were plenty of points where you thought, is this it? Like, what am I doing? When am I going to get to the thing that I really want to be doing?
1: Yes, 100%. And I'll say becoming a mom puts all of that in a very different Mm. perspective Um, because work has a place in my life. But first and foremost, I'm a mom. Um, And that's my best job and my always job. But I would say that there have been times along the way where I felt like I was teaching people things that I had already forgotten, that they were so laden in bureaucracy that I wasn't able to accelerate um, the kind of insights and change and um, progression that I knew needed to happen and wanted to happen. And in spite of all my best efforts, um, it was like they were slow followers. When you're in that situation, how long do you give
0: it before you say, I gotta move on from this. It's just never gonna. They're they're never
1: gonna catch on to the vision. It's just not the right fit. I can say that I've been in places. You know, I really had a privilege in working at Johnson and Johnson um, because it's an extraordinary company whose mission and credo and commitment to helping the world have the healthiest outcomes is so in the DNA of that uh, of that company that. Um, my As my grandfather used to say, and this is another life lesson, like I should pay them for the opportunity to have had that tour of duty. It was like a grad school in many ways. Having said that, Baby Center was an independent LLC. It was a company they had acquired. So we weren't like in the, we weren't in the Borg, so yeah. to speak. And we wrote our own rules and we were out in San Francisco and we created our own culture and we did awesome things. But. Once I felt like I had taken Baby Center after six years, as far as I can take it, we were like in all these countries and eight out of 10 moms. I then said, OK, what else can I innovate with here for J&J? Because even with our extraordinary success, we were a rounding error relative to the multi-billion right. dollar, 153000 thousand employees around the world in and pharma and medical devices and consumer all of that
0: it's different when you're not central to the mission yeah. of a company yeah
1: so i think that they would absolutely say that we were the jewel of the crown in, in with in the context of what we did but relative to the larger thing and so what i said is um i'd like to go on some public boards i was being asked because i'd like to, i'm curious i'm passionate i want to cross train and every time i said i wanted to do interesting things to develop myself They would say, oh, if you have the bandwidth, you should go on the oncology disruption team or you should go on the um, diabetes uh, reimagination team. And I was like, no offense, but like, I don't know the difference between a magic marker and a biomarker. Like, I'll do my best, (laughs) but like, that's not my training. They're like, no, 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 no. And so what I did in my last kind of tour of duty there was create MAMA, which was the Mobile Alliance for Maternal Action which was a partnership with the UN Foundation and Baby Center and the M Health Alliance. And I got J&J to donate $20 million to this foundation to actually go after the maternal health crisis in the developing world. And at Baby Center, we created the medical advisory boards and the mobile technology to empower um, healthcare workers in the developing world to go and bring those there. But at that point, it's extraordinary. It's still going on, and it's been translated into 100 you know, different languages by you know, midwives around the world, um, and we open-sourced it. And I was their maternal health advocate, and I still am a maternal health advocate, but I thought, okay, like I, I'm sort of, I don't know what else to do um, because I don't want to be the chief digital officer of Johnson & Johnson. Um, there are better people suited for that. I don't want to spend my life on an airplane. Um, as a teacher, I want to actually make the change I want to see in the world, um, not just advocate for it.
0: And you ultimately made the call. You had to go. I had to go. How much time did you give yourself with
1: that decision? I would say I gave them a year's notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I knew kind of four years in. I'm just curious
0: in terms of where where we are in our world right now. I, I, I'm a child of the 80s. Brands they mattered. I mean, my family didn't get a lot of the hot brands, but as a kid, I remember it wouldn't just be, oh, mom, buy orange juice or mom, we want this. It would be, mom, there was a commercial for this particular brand and that's the thing that I really want. And my parents usually said no at that point. <laughs> but
1: but have we changed? Is, Absolutely. Is, okay. I mean, so, so brands at their essence are trust marks. Right. And- the sad thing is that what used to be a trust mark out of the top 100 CPG brands in America today, last year, 90 were in decline. CPG is consumer, consumer package goods. Right. So of all of the like brands that you're talking about, which is a massive amount into the most developed economy in the world, 90 were in decline. What does that actually mean? What that means is that we've lost trust. People don't trust brands anymore. Um, we've lost faith. And people are sick and tired of the false narrative. So what is false narrative? The Jolly Green Giant? Like, really, does he make your, you know, green beans any better? Like, come on, Mr. Whipple? Like, you know, Marge, the Palmolive lady? Like, the guy in the shower with a six-pack? Like, that's going to make your shampoo or your shave gel better? No. those That's false narrative. You have an iPhone. You have a podcast. You're amazing. So does everyone. So people want to tell their own stories. And so what we really tried to do at Brandless is not be anti-brand, not be generic by any stretch, and certainly not private label. We are a brand. Brandless is a brand. Brandless is a brand. Ladies and gentlemen, let me announce to you, <laughs> Brandless.com, like there is a brand. But here's the caveat. We are reimagining what it means to be a brand. We are people first. We are doing it as a community. We are transparent. We are authentic. And we're fair. And so the narrative is really your story, not our story. So what do we mean by that? I mean, a great example. We had a beauty blogger um, post on Insta uh, our our um, organic coconut oil and our organic brown sugar. And she said, I love Brandless Beauty because I mix these together and make a lip exfoliant. Fantastic! Like her story is more interesting than our story. Like her
0: telling people what she does with the products is more interesting than absolutely. you telling people what to do with the products. So
1: we can give you instructions and recipes and how to use it. Like the efficacy of something, and that's why we label everything so clearly. But we want to turn the camera back because it's already turned on. It's selfie nation. So there's a billion stories that are being told. We want to actually create the space. When we say fill in the white space, beauty is blank because what beauty means to you versus what beauty means to me is very different. And I don't think that I should tell anyone they should have to be taller and have brighter teeth or be happier or this is going to make you thinner or fatter or bigger or anything. Like, no, what if you're already amazing? What if you are already amazing right now before you ever touch my product? And let me tell you what this product is. It's organic tomato and basil sauce. It's not going to change your life. But it's $3, and it's awesome, and you tell me what you're going to cook with it. It's not going to change your marriage. It's not going to change your family. <laughs> it's not going to change your dinner parties. I wish it could, though. No, I'm well, kidding. no, but, that, totally but kidding. then if it does, tell us that story and let us share it with others. Why did it take so long to get here?
0: Why is it that, you know, we've spent years, and, and frankly, uh, until Brandless and, and now a number of private label brands are coming out, For so many years, it was just kind of like markup, 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 get more and more expensive, and whatever the ingredients were was sort of an overlooked fact. Why is it that this is such a sea change right now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that I want to differentiate between private label and brandless, and the reason I do is because you only find a private label brand when it's on the shelf next to a national brand. And so when a retailer is trying to crawl back margin, So that they can make more money, Um, they will potentially create a copycat that they engineer for value and taking price out of something. And they have it next to the shelf of the national brand that's created all the efficacy and then they benchmark it against that, sometimes created in the same factories. So
0: that when you're a customer, you walk up and you say, Oh, well, this one's whatever, five dollars and this one's four and a half dollars, and so I'll get the four and a half dollar option because it's less expensive.
1: And I think what ushered in this era of being able to take out brand tax and why is it happening now versus, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago is because first and foremost when Apple invented the iPhone, I don't think they really understood they'd be launching a GPS in, in 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 real life. So the platforms to actually enable people to have direct-to-consumer relationships have never been easier than they are today, first and foremost. Second of all, I think that when Google really told the world that they are going to democratize access to information consumer is so much more informed than they've ever been before. Yeah. And number three, I want more information about what, in the case of food, what I'm putting into my body, in the case of beauty, what I'm putting onto my skin, and what I can do for my family. And I actually think as a country, we've done a good job at educating people about organics and other things. Organics is not a coastal idea. Organics is like an American idea where, like, coast to coast, uh, everyone is knows that that's a better choice and they don't want that bad stuff in their food. Problem is, when we educated everybody, the industries took advantage of that and said, oh, we're going to charge a premium for that. Well, that's ridiculous. It doesn't need to cost more. Everyone deserves access to better stuff. We're going to look for other areas where people deserve better. And we're going to try and create those and eliminate the brand tax because this community is really about democratizing access How did you choose $3? Great question. Um, Because we were starting with Everyday Essentials, part of what Brandless was doing is like if you and I go right now into a big supermarket or a big drugstore, we could be paralyzed by what we call the paradox of choice. So part of what we wanted to do at Brandless was make things simple just what matters so a whole number it had to be a whole number it it had to be a whole number that was the and and less choice because we've looked at all the shampoos and this is a clean moisturizing shampoo and it's three dollars so the assortment is very edited and curated much like an instagram post or a magazine editor might say this is the best of that's what we did and then for price we studied what's called in the industry the better for you market which is the curation of naturals and whole food and mm-hmm. um, and organics and things like that. And we looked at what we call the entry price. We would even be able to walk into that store, and it wasn't three dollars. And so we said our goal is to blow the doors off the front of the Better for You Market and make it accessible to everyone. But even at three dollars, we know that not everybody can afford that. So that's why we partnered with Feeding America. And when you check out at Brandless.com, we uh, donate a meal to Feeding America in your honor.
0: How do you deal with it when you really, really want to get into a category? And I'm sure there are categories like this. There are there are products that you really want to do, but you can't figure out how to
1: do them for three dollars. Do you yes. have any
0: examples of products that you've either we're
1: working on it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, a good example of that. A product that um, we are going to do. So listeners, we will do it. Um, we just have to figure it out. We won't lower our standards. That's the first thing. Almond butter. Almond butter. We have butter. to figure out how to do almond butter. For three bucks. For three bucks. And so what's interesting, and I don't want to, you know, Rachel Vegas, who's our extraordinary um, uh, head merchant, um, and Jessica uh, are literally, we're like, we have meetings. on like, how are we going to do almond butter? Because our community <laughs> wants it. I mean, our first original assortment um, was all architected by us. And with our community and focus groups that we hadn't launched yet. So you ask people, alive, we we asked people basically what products people, do you
0: want? What products can we do? So yes, we looked you
1: would at do. what's called household penetration, like what is people buying every day? We looked yeah. at what's called consumption turns. How often do they um, replenish these things? And then these merchants and the team are extraordinary putting together the everyday essentials assortment. The minute we went live, then we were able to have a live and open conversation with our community to actually figure out what is the next things that they want and the next things that they want. And so everything we really want to do is a co-creation with the community that we serve because if we're going to put them first, then we need to produce the things that they want. You also advise now a number of entrepreneurs. What do you see as the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make? Um, I would say consistently the biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is that they don't ask enough questions. Um, they don't um, identify the things they don't know because they don't always even know the questions to ask.
0: So how would you, if you were advising them, how would you advise them how to even learn what the questions
1: are that need to be asked? I think that entrepreneurs have to have a blend of courage and like blind faith in themselves because it's a, it's a, it's a lonely, fearless mm-hmm. job. But they also need to create a network around them of people who are right there wanting to help um, in small and large ways, and they have to figure out a way to build that community of advisors and fans and friends that they can be humble and just and be vulnerable. I think that oftentimes because entrepreneurs have to be so strong in order to like sell their story to the ventures or sell their story to their team, that they've left the most important human quality, in my opinion, on the table, which is vulnerability. Because vulnerability sort of like reduces us all to the same. And so it's okay to not have the answer. It's okay to ask the question. It's okay to acknowledge that there's opportunity for growth or learning there. And I think the, the best entrepreneurs are the ones that are totally self-actualized with that and actually acknowledge what they don't know.
0: What's been the toughest lesson for you along the
1: way? Um, the toughest lesson for me along the way, I would say that there have been times when I've been in relationships, business relationships with people that, um, did not represent my values and yet I wanted to change them or I wanted them to be a certain way. How did you
0: end up in the relationships in the first place? Was it that... Somebody seemed like they had the right pedigree or the right connections, and that was the relationship, or was it something that evolved over time it that just you evolved realized over time? So and you, that you realized, realized over time that I realized they over the right time that this
1: doesn't really reflect my values, and so making decisions to make those transitions, um, not at anybody's expense, mm-hmm. and so it's that delicate dance because you know I believe you know take the high road in life. I've re, I, you know, I like to say. People say, why are you so positive? And I said, well, you know what? I kind of like reset my Google Maps to only show me the high road because life is too short. And so if you take any other road but that road, the only person you're really holding back is yourself. And so oftentimes people ask me about Brandless, like what just happened that like everyone is excited about Brandless? I said, well, besides the democratization of access, the thing that I think just happened in this climate, in this country, at this moment, is that people are so hungry for positivity. People are so hungry for, like, reasons to believe that it actually, like, we're America. Like, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way, and that's not okay. But I don't think I can get on a Metroliner and go to Washington and fix it right now. So I'm going to do what I believe is the right thing to do for every person in this country. And people... 99.99999% of them I have yet to meet and I never will meet. But I just want them to have better and I don't need a government agency to fund it. Silicon Valley is really good at solving hard problems. But oftentimes we solve them for the community of Silicon Valley. And I want to use whatever entrepreneurial skills I have and Edo has and our extraordinary team has and our venture capital support solve systemic problems for this country that are fun and awesome and extraordinary and maybe begins to reclaim the humanness of this economy and this country because it can be fun it can be awesome but like let's focus on the amazing people in this country and reclaim the awesomeness that makes us america and so for me like that's worth getting out of bed in the morning here
0: here you're not running for office at any point. I'm I don't. I don't see you as. I don't see you as a politician. I feel like I can
1: get more done outside the system than inside the system. It's What's all the... about getting it done. <laughs> What's the worst advice you've been given along the way? Ah, that's actually. Um, I was thinking about that this morning, and um, I actually remember exactly the moment. Um, I was sitting um, at a, a big meeting uh, with another executive, and. I don't remember they were talking about this transformation of our teams and we had to do this or we had to do that and we were going to rebuild this certain software. And so they said, you know, okay, we're reclaiming this. And I said, okay, well, I'll take that one. And, and then they went on and I said, okay, I'll take that one. And so then we broke for a bio break and this person and I walked out and she looked at me and she said, you know, can I give you some advice? And I said, Absolutely. She said, you volunteer for way too much. Don't make eye contact and don't raise your hand. And I was like, wow, thank you so much. That's so interesting. You know, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and I thought about it and I was like, goodness gracious, like I can't think of worse advice. Like I volunteer for everything and I raise my hand. And yes, one could argue that I'm overcommitted. So I've tried to calibrate that and like lean in and set expectations for myself and for others. but..." If you don't put yourself out there, if you don't, like, create that connection, um, maybe my volunteering will create an opportunity for somebody else. Um, But the idea of not volunteering for something, like, what land are you living in? You know, that's just not how I was raised.
0: Tina Sharkey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And our No Limits Entrepreneur this week is Rachel Silver. She is the CEO and founder of Love Stories TV, which is a media company that's building the first and largest library of real wedding films. Rachel went to undergrad at Michigan State University where, fun fact, she was on the synchronized figure skating team. She then received her master's in international affairs, conflict resolution, and civil society development from the American University of Paris. Prior to founding Love Stories TV, she spent a little over four years at Birchbox. You all know Birchbox. We had the CEO and founder Katya Beauchamp here on No Limits recently. Fabulous woman, really smart, brilliant brilliant founder. Well, Rachel spent four years at Birchbox, where she was most recently the director of social marketing and content strategy. She now lives in Brooklyn with her husband, Justin. So how did it all begin? Rachel says she had an idea she couldn't stop thinking about. While she was at Birchbox, she was responsible for creating video content that was entertaining, but also moved people to shop. And because her small content team was competing for customer attention with huge media publishers, she was constantly looking for creative ways to think about content. In 2013, she got married, didn't have a wedding video, but following her own wedding, she started to see her friend's wedding videos on Facebook, and a light bulb went off. She thought, this is the best content I've ever seen. Real people, real stories, professional production. So she decided to create Love Stories TV, which has now built the first and only platform for watching weddings contributed by newlyweds and wedding filmmakers from all over the world. Before taking the plunge and leaving Birchbox, Rachel ran Love Stories TV at night for four months so that she was sure that it was catching on. Great idea. And then, with the support of her husband and Birchbox CEO Katya Beauchamp, she started doing Love Stories TV full-time. They recently closed their seed two financing and are working with paid advertising partners. Her biggest obstacle along the way was figuring out where to start. And when it came to the details of setting up a business, fundraising, legal, insurance, accounting, trademarking, Rachel says that luckily through her time spent at Howcast Media and Birchbox, she developed a pretty amazing network that she was able to tap to provide advice and direction. So important to build out that network along the way and remember them. I guarantee you this is something a friend of mine told me recently. If you feel like there's something on your mind, something you really want to accomplish, take a minute and think about the goal and then write down all the people you know who might be able to help you get to that goal. The list will be longer than you think once you start writing names down. Great advice. Well, Rachel says if she could go back in time and give herself advice at the start, she would say, buckle up. Being a founder is like riding a roller coaster. Congratulations, Rachel, on what you've built with Love Stories TV. And congratulations on being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an Entrepreneur of the Week or... If you'd like to ask me a career question in our RJ answers segment, you can send an email to no limits with RJ at gmail.com. Again, that is no limits with RJ at gmail.com. I read every single email that comes to that address. So thanks to all of you for sharing your stories with me. Also, If you like what you heard here, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review. It really does help spread the word of No Limits and get us out there so people can hear and learn about the podcast. And we look at the reviews as well. We appreciate them. Thanks for sharing the feedback. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use the hashtag No Limits. And I want to give a shout out to the team here at ABC who helps make this happen week after week. My wonderful producer, Taylor Dunn, our fabulous editor, Michelle Bancardo, my phenomenal research assistant, Annie Osakwe, the fabulous team here at ABC Radio, Elizabeth Russo, David Ryan, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb and Steve Jones. Thanks to all of you out there who helped make this happen.